Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director for the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce. And my guest today is Bill Eddy. I'm really thrilled to have Bill. He's a lawyer, therapist, mediator, and the president of the High Conflict Institute based in San Diego, California. As a lawyer, he is a certified family law specialist in California, where he has represented clients in family court for 15 years and provided divorce mediation services for over 20 years. Prior to that, he provided child and family counseling for 12 years in psychiatric hospitals and outpatient clinics as a licensed clinical social worker. And he's written several books, including High Conflict People and Legal Disputes and Splitting, Protecting Yourself While Divorcing Someone with Borderline or Narcissistic Personality Disorder and BIFF, Quick Responses to High Conflict People. In 2009, he developed the New Ways for Family Short-Term Counseling Program in use in several family court jurisdictions in the United States and Canada. And in 2013, he developed New Way for Mediation Method for High Conflict Families. Welcome, Bill. It's a thrill to have you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be on. So I thought that we would talk today about a question that a lot of people who call my office have, and that is, can I mediate? Who can mediate? What about anger? What about betrayal? What about previous guest Donna Hicks has called dignity violations? What about our conflict dynamic? Who can mediate? Who can't mediate? And how can we help them? It's an excellent question. And I have addressed that many times because I do focus on high conflict disputes, which tend to include either one of the parties with a high conflict personality, a pattern of increasing conflict and not resolving things, or two, and who it is, if it's one, is not always clear. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. And let me start by saying kind of a general principle that I think you'll probably agree with, and that is I really strongly believe that high-conflict people need a non-adversarial process in order to really resolve their disputes. So I always, as I like to say, my worst day doing mediation is still better than my best day in court. Well, I actually think you're saying something that's a little counterintuitive, which is to say that actually, for the most high-conflict people, need to resolve their dispute in a process that is does not encourage that. Yeah. And the key is really training for the dispute resolvers. And I do training, of course, for mediators, also divorce, uh, collaborative divorce professionals. I also train judges and lawyers in litigation. So I realize that that's going to happen. But I think it's really worth trying the non-adversarial approaches first, mediation and collaborative divorce, even in the high-conflict cases. So let me make a few suggestions. If an individual, especially if there's children in the divorce, I believe if you think you have a high-conflict co-parent, that it's worth really taking a two-track approach. Be prepared to go to court if you're taken to court by the other person or if nothing else works. 
but work hard first at trying to resolve the dispute out of court. And the reasons why, if you have a high-conflict co-parent or partner, is that court escalates their adversarial thinking and puts them, in a sense, up against a wall. And that's where we see people, high-conflict people, starting to resort to false allegations, physical abuse, child abuse, alienating a child, etc. And that that less intense, or maybe even not getting to that point, if they're in a mediation or collaborative setting, because they're not feeling personally attacked. Now, no one likes to be personally attacked, but high-conflict people are extremely sensitive to that, even though they may insult and do negative things. They have a range. It's a narrow range of behavior, and you want to keep it at the most positive end. So I'll say in a little bit some things to do to build in some protections to, say, the mediation process. But I think the first point is, in almost all cases, try mediation and see if that will work as long as there's sufficient protections for emotional and physical safety. So, you know, sometimes people will say, well, will I have enough protection? And I don't, and I don't think that they mean emotional and physical protection. I think they mean financial protection. Will I have enough protection in the mediation process because my partner always gets his or her way? And what, you know, they always just, you know, they have a tizzy fit and, you know, that's it. They're a bully and I don't feel like I can speak in response to that. Well, I think one of the strongest things is I always strongly encourage people to have a lawyer who they're at least consulting with, if not retaining. And nowadays, I don't know about New York, but California, we're close to 80% of people going through divorce don't have a lawyer. So they're representing themselves. And I understand and appreciate the cost saving of doing that, but I think the value of the knowledge and in a sense, protecting yourself with the options that a lawyer knows about that most clients or individuals don't know about makes it worth at least consulting with a lawyer. I encourage people to early on get at least an hour consultation and ask the lawyer, what do I need to know going into this and how can you help me make proposals and how can you help me say yes or no to the other person's proposals. And that way, I think it builds in some protections. And any good mediator will not say you have to sign today, right now, but will say, talk to a lawyer before you make your final decisions, at least. So I think the protection comes in from having a lawyer who knows what you can and can't do, knows what the law is. And also, I would say they can tell you about a financial advisor. There's some good divorce financial analysts out there who can help you know, are you making good or bad financial decisions? Yeah, I think you're really emphasizing the importance of taking the time to make sure that you get education about what you don't know and that you have an opportunity to really think it through outside of the negotiation session and that you get the assistance and support that you need to do that, and that that can give you the support that you need in order to come to a reasonable resolution. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really the the, the key 
to non-adversarial processes is informed consent. And so people are responsible to be informed. A mediator can give general information, but it's good to also have a lawyer and possibly a divorce financial analyst who can really inform you about some of the nuances of the big decisions that people are facing. So let's go back to where we were, which is that you were saying that for people who are high conflict, mediation is especially important. You know, because sometimes people think, and I, I think this is true for mediators too, professionals, lawyers, that really people who are appropriate for mediation are people who came in and they have a kind of written down on an envelope what they want to agree to, and they just need your help kind of creating a legal document. You just sort of babysit them through the legal process. And I think that you're saying something very different than that, Bill. Yes, I am. And I think that this is a change in the last 10 years for myself and also for the mediation field. Before then, we really did have people who who were motivated. They were civil. They wanted to do it out of court. And they were able to talk and listen respectfully and all of that. The courts have really push the shift at this point, I think. And so the courts are saying you should go to mediation first, regardless of who you are. And it's part of often uh, court procedures or requirements so that mediators are getting people who sometimes don't want to be there, who sometimes are just using mediation, just going through the motions because they really want to go to court. And you have some people who figure I can bully my partner in mediation into giving me a better deal than the court would. And so these are concerns, and I think they can be addressed in the process. First of all, by screening clients with an individual interview for each party uh, a week or two before the mediation, I do that now, and I call it pre-mediation coaching because I don't want to put people under pressure and feel like they're being scrutinized. But I have been trained in screening for domestic violence, and I think that that's not only important, but it's becoming a requirement in some jurisdictions. So the ability to ask meaningful questions, does the person feel that they can make good decisions while the other person's in the room? Do they feel like they have a good enough backup in terms of a lawyer to consult with, financial person, even a parenting plan person like a counselor or coach who they can talk to about parenting plan so that the person feels that it is a safe place to negotiate, that they feel physically safe with that person. And if they do have concerns or there is some history of physical violence, can the process have safety measures put in place? And I'm now doing some mediations where people actually start out with a restraining order. And during my pre-mediation coaching, I find out if I can meet with them together in the same room, which has to be an exception to the restraining order, mm -hmm. or if I can have them in the building at the same time, but I go back and forth between separate rooms so they're never together, or if I do the mediation over the phone, so that they're not even in the same location. They may not even know where each other is uh, calling in. With those protections available, I find that they can make reasonable agreements, some including supervised visitation, restraining orders, etc. 
And people seem to appreciate that they're respected in that process. They're listened to. They're not treated as bad people. And they're not pressured. So that that's the benefit, I think, of mediation, so long as you have these protections. The other thing I want to mention about pre-mediation coaching is I, I teach the parties what they need to do in the mediation in terms of making proposals, preparing questions, and focusing on the future. Because often where high-conflict people get into trouble is they're stuck in the past, and they keep wanting to argue about things that happened in the past, and I can't mediate the past. I tell them I can only mediate the future. So these kinds of things, and I could go into more depth later, but this is the general approach, I think, that can make mediation work for people, even if they do have a high-conflict partner. I have a lot of questions about that, but first I want to remind people that this is Dialogue on Divorce. We are on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and the uh, recordings of these sessions are available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and on iTunes. This is Catherine Miller, and I'm talking with Bill Eddy about high-conflict divorce, and particularly high-conflict divorce mediation. And Bill, I'm very curious about how you think collaborative law fits into this idea of working with high-conflict people. Oh, I think it's very compatible with this idea. And I've been trained in collaborative divorce and done some cases myself, although my emphasis has been primarily mediation. And I think as long as the collaborative divorce team operates with the same principles that I'm talking about, I think it can actually be an excellent way to help people through the divorce process, to help them be safe, and also help them learn some skills for future communication at whatever level it's going to be. So I do trainings for collaborative divorce professionals as well as for mediators, And I talk about, you know, one of the advantages of collaborative divorce, if people aren't familiar, and they're probably familiar with it if they've been listening to your program, but the fact that people each have a lawyer and that there may be other professionals involved, such as a child specialist, a financial specialist, et cetera, and mental health professionals, possibly. And so the team needs to of course, be treating everyone with respect, even in cases where there may have been some abuse. And I know to some extent, some collaborative groups will take cases with a restraining order if it's already been acquired. And I think similar to mediation, these cases can do better by staying out of court, even if they can't be cooperating a lot it can help them make these big decisions and go forward in peace. One of the things I've had in mediation and collaborative cases is where the parenting plan basically requires minimal contact between the parents. So whatever it is, there's not contact by either parent with the children when they're in the other person's home and they don't communicate except about child issues, and it may be once a week or even less frequently, yet both parents can be good parents with the kids during their time, whether it's equal time or 
90% with one and 10% with the other. So things can be structured in these extreme cases. Now, the ideal with collaborative divorce, of course, is that you're able to meet together, that people are able to learn to communicate a little bit better, and collaborative gives that opportunity, especially when there's a coach involved, because the coaches can be good for communication tips. And in high-conflict cases, I really encourage that there's a coach involved, either one or two coaches, not just the two lawyers, so that parents can move forward rather than just having decisions made. Because high-conflict people often lack some of the basic communication skills, how to write emails, how to make proposals, how to manage themselves in decision-making, how to manage themselves emotionally. And those are skills that can be taught by the collaborative group, can be taught by the mediator. We also have a method called New Ways for Families, which really trains parents in how to get along, including high-conflict parents. So Anyway, I've got a lot I can say, but I'll... Well, you have a lot of information, and and Bill Eddy, I want to be sure that you give our listeners your contact information and website details so that if they wish to follow up and get more information. So can you share with us the best way to reach you and get more information? Yes. The best way is to go to our website. It's highconflictinstitute.com. That's H-I-G-H, Conflict Institute, one long word. Dot com, And we have information there about books, about videos, free articles, uh, how people can contact us for training and consultation. So we really serve a high conflict area, both individuals and professionals. Uh, so highconflictinstitute.com is the best place to start. And I did want to mention, I briefly mentioned our New Ways for Families method. We have another website for that, but if you go to highconflictinstitute.com and look for new ways for families, it'll link you to the other website. One thing that I've really noticed, Bill Eddy, you saying a lot in our time together today is you've used this word respect, that how Mm -hmm. important it is for the participants, the high conflict parties to feel respected, for them to be treated with respect, and that you've also said that they really appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, yes. I think when people are going through divorce, anyone, they feel a lot of self-doubts. You know, was it my fault that I do something wrong? What will people think of me? All those kinds of things. And it's so important and so possible in mediation and collaborative divorce for parents to receive a lot of respect. People have made a lot of efforts. They're facing a lot of changes. They may be raising kids together. And it's important that they be respected throughout the process. And that's one of the big criticisms of the court process is parents often report certainly not feeling respected by the lawyer for the other party. That's for and sure. And <laughs> sometimes not feeling respected by the judge, that that there's a sense of either one or both parties feel criticized. And the focus is on the past. In mediation, collaborative divorce, we can focus on the future. And, and so, so I think it gives people a sense of relief to know they're going to be treated like an equal. They're going to be assisted in the process rather than look down on, as the court process tends to do, even though it doesn't mean to, the result often is. So that's another argument for if you have a high-conflict co-parent, 
if they feel respected, they're going to be easier to work with than if they feel constantly criticized. And that's why mediation and collaborative are much better approaches for them. You know, I think it's really interesting because I think it's very hard when you're engaged in a dynamic with a high conflict person to give them that respect or use language that it's so easy to fall into a kind of a competitive dynamic. So do you have any hints as to how to talk, use that word, express respect in in a way that might be useful to people listening? Yeah, we actually have two techniques that we teach professionals and parents. One we call ear statements, and that's making statements that show empathy, attention, and respect. And if possible, it's helpful to communicate that way and say, well, I can understand your frustration. Here's my proposal to solve this problem. We also have a technique for email communication and Facebook, et cetera. And and some parents are using Our Family Wizard, which is a, a structured way to manage communications that can be looked back on if necessary, including by professionals. But our method for email communication we call BIF. It's brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And it's hard to explain it quickly, but I'll mention we have a book on that at our High Conflict Institute website. And it's actually our most popular book. We've sold, I think, over 15,000 copies in terms of a method. It really helps people be respectful, be calm, and feel good about themselves, even if they're responding to a hostile email. I think that's really, really important. And one of the things that I noticed that I do a lot for my collaborative clients is to edit their email before they send it out. And almost always, it's way too long. They're saying way too much. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest issues. And I have my emails that I need to send in difficult situations. I have them reviewed by somebody else, and they're usually cut in half. So it's very true. I wanted to mention that we have not only the book, we have a video demonstrating it on the website as well. And the book for professionals, the Biff book has a chapter at the end on how to coach someone. So you can actually teach your clients how to check their own emails before they send them so that they slowly get better and better at it. While we're talking about video, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners about the video we were talking about a little bit before the show started about how to determine whether or not you could potentially mediate and whether or not it's a good process for you. Can give us some information about that? Sure. We have a low-cost video. It's an hour. I think it's $9.95 on our website, highconflictinstitute.com, and you click on video training, and there's a list of videos. But this one is called, Is Divorce Mediation for You? And it's very inexpensive, and it's an hour demonstration. I'm working with two potentially high-conflict clients, and we address all kinds of issues, domestic violence, substance abuse, child abuse, child alienation, where someone may be making comments so that the children resist seeing the other parent. And it's so easy to watch, and I think it's a great introduction. It gives quite an overview of how mediation treats issues. It's not the only way that mediators do it. It's, it's, it's a snapshot of how I do it in one hour. But it gives people a feeling for how you can be respected even when you have big disagreements 
and big decisions to make. I think that's so important because I think very many people yearn to be able to resolve these issues, especially family issues, together and fear that they can't and fear that that same old conflict dynamic and that same old disrespect, the same old dignity violations will come up and they'll fail. And that is just terrifying. Right. And those two things of the yearning and the fear coexist, but often lead them to hire lawyers and to head towards an adversary process, which really is not probably in their best interest. Exactly. And I think because I encourage people to talk to lawyers, they should ask the lawyer, will you support me if I go through mediation or collaborative divorce, or will you try to take the case to court? And do you have many clients who are involved in mediation and collaborative divorce? And if they don't, I would steer clear of that kind of lawyer. I want someone that supports the process of jointly making decisions rather than having someone else be the decision maker. You know, it can be very challenging to do that, though, Bill, Eddie, because sometimes, you know, you've been suffering. If someone's been suffering in a situation for so long and they sit down in a lawyer's office and that person is so validating, oh, yes, you know, you're the best. You've been dealing with this and we're going to punish that so-and-so. And so it's hard to do that. But I think what you're, you're giving very good advice. Thank you. And just one thing to mention is most cases are sol solved by settlements. Even the cases that go to court, they settle them in the hallways usually. So if people think they're going to have a, a five-day trial and that everything that ever happened in their marriage that the other person did wrong is going to come out. That's not true. So get people from the start who support negotiating and mediating and collaborative divorce. Yes, it's true. A previous, another previous guest of mine said that the only people who don't know the case is going to settle from the very beginning are the clients, and that's probably true. Right. Thank you, Bill Eddie. It's been wonderful having you our guest, and I encourage people to get in touch with you at www.highconflictinstitute.com. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you about this.